Do you wonder if others are dealing with the same project management challenges as you? Not sure where to turn for guidance and leadership? Office Hours are in session as we discuss project management and PMOs with global leaders, hearing their story and learning their secrets to success. Our goal is to empower you and help you elevate your PMO and project management career to new heights. Welcome back to Project Management Office Hours with your host, PMO Joe. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours. We're the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., and my guess is probably the world. Uh, We're broadcasting to you from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios here in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, PMO Joe, and for the next hour or so, we'll be talking project management, and today, lots of Agile as well with our special guest. Just want to take a moment to mention on March 10th, I'll be with Stuart Easton from Transparent Choice doing his webinar series. It's going to be at 9 a.m. Arizona time. Stuart's over in the UK, so I'm not sure what local time will be for them. And we're going to be chatting about PMO leadership and digging into how we can improve PMO performance through improving our PMO leadership. So that's going to be fun, exciting time. I was on with Stuart last year and looking uh, for another fun session with him. Also want to take a moment to talk about the new global community site, the PMO Leader. Uh, We have started that uh, soft launch in early January, and we have our launch party coming up in April for a formal go live. We'll talk about that in a little more detail with our special guest, Uh, but we do have a international board of advisors from Australia, Iran, Zambia, Spain, and the U.S. And if you're looking for project management, agile, PMO content, information for leadership with books and blogs and podcasts, training, coaching, consulting, speakers, software, you name it, uh, we're your one-stop shop. So visit www.thepmoleader.com to learn more about that. And finally, I want to thank our sponsors, the PMO Squad. They're the premier PMO consulting firm in the U.S., offering PMO as a service, agile and project management resources, PMO consulting and training, and they're there to help you with all your delivery needs. Check them out at www.thepmosquad.com. Of course, you need to go out and visit projectmanagementofficehours.com, the home of the show, You can see all of our upcoming guests as well as listen to all of our previous episodes. And we have an amazing lineup of guests planned for the rest of the year. And speaking of amazing guests, we're fortunate to be joined today from Melbourne, Australia, live with Fatima Abuchi. Welcome, Fatima, and thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Joe. I'm looking forward to having a detailed discussion today and continuing from where we left off last time. If you could, Fatima, just take a moment to introduce yourself to everybody and let them know a little bit more about you. Sure, no problem. Uh, so I, I've basically spent the last 18 years in and around projects in some shape or form across 16 industries globally. I've had the pleasure of working with large companies, uh, multinationals, medium size, and then five years ago, set up a small business agile management office. And during that last five years, I've emphasized the focus on putting the the uh, agility in governance and being focused on helping organizations transform the way that they work with governance and delivery and bringing them together, acting as kind of the conduit. And so we can deep dive into a lot more of that, um, but basically helping organizations on their transformation journey and doing that with a really, really um, great team, which has been a lot of fun, as well as hosting the Agile Ideas podcast, which is something I like to do for a bit of fun as well. Yeah, it's nice to have another podcast host uh, as a guest. Takes a lot of the burden off of me because you already know how to do this, right? So that's fantastic. Not as good as you. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, you probably are, uh, as we all know, you're modest and you wouldn't mention this, right? But you were a top three finalist in the PMO Global Awards for PMO Influencer of the Year last year. Uh, So you were the number one PMO influencer in Australia. You're also a winner of the Project of the Year and Professional Services of the Year last year in Australia. Is that all? Did I catch all that correctly? You did. You did. Um, the Professional Services wasn't won nationally, 
and the project of the year for the state of Victoria for where I um, I currently reside. So how does that feel to get, I know when I, I was nominated top 15, so you beat me out to make it to the top three. Uh, and I talked about that on the show where I was just like, come on, like I'm, I'm just this guy over here in Phoenix. How am I one of the top 15 in the world? But it's a great honor and it felt amazing, right? It, almost a validation of all the work that you put in that it's being recognized in the industry. How did that feel for you? Yeah, I think it's um, really interesting. I think the thing I liked most about the awards and winning those awards was they were voted by our peers. So it wasn't like we, you know, paid a fee to be involved and then we're selected because we, you know, were able to put, you know, funds down or anything like that. It was actually voted by our peers, which I think makes it even more important and more powerful. To to win um, a sort of as Australia um, influencer of the year was, was amazing because, over the last sort of 12 to 24 months, I spent a lot of time volunteering and doing a lot of um, events and webinars and being guests on other podcast stations and doing a lot of um, a lot of sort of educational type content, distributing that to help the PMI and project community in general. And winning those awards was basically acknowledgement that I was on the right track and now can continue that focus moving forward with, you know, a bit more of an agile flavor into 2021 with some of the other initiatives that we've got underway. So, yeah, it absolutely was um, a bit of a shock, if I'm honest, but it really is a testament not just to the stuff that I've done, but actually my team who's been very supportive throughout that journey as well. So, yeah, really rewarding. Yeah, and you are our fifth guest we've had on now from Australia. Uh, so we've got a bit of a following out there as well, which is nice. Uh, and there's some heavy hitters in that list of guests. So for, to be, you know, top uh, out of that crowd last year is quite an honor. So I'm, I'm honored to have you join us on the show and not just on the show, uh, but you and I recently formed a partnership as well. We did. Uh, I had we mentioned, did, definitely. I had mentioned the PMO leader site uh, that I started up and, uh, and I'm honored to have you join me with uh, a partnership stake in that endeavor. So what are your thoughts on the PMO leader and uh, where we're headed with that and, and kind of your vision for everything there? Yeah, I think when we first sort of, when you first floated the idea, and I know we've spoken about it two or three times since then and until we created the partnership, but I think the original concept and the idea that you had, I just felt like there was something in that opportunity that was going to be different to what was out there today. It's not, as we've talked about, it's not a competing site to other sort of uh, global PMO initiatives or anything like that. It's actually a community to bring bring the content and, and I guess go through all of the things that are out there and help to bring the things that are most important to the community so they don't have to spend the time looking for the blogs and the books and the audios and the workshops and all the services. We're going to do that for them. So when we started talking a little bit more about what the concept was and then you and I had a couple of conversations I got really excited because I feel like there's a lot of value to give, not only for the stuff that my team have been doing, but from the community perspective, and people are looking for a place to put that. And now the PMO leader as one global community is the place where we can do that. And as I said to you on our last call, the ideas that I've got going through my head and the things that could potentially be really, really complimentary and positive for the for the community going forward is insurmountable. There's so many, and I think I have to slow down sometimes. Luckily, we've got a backlog, though, for all of those ideas. And we can manage them as we go. But yeah, it's really exciting. And I, I feel like it really resonates with everything I've been doing um, in the last 18 years and then even more recently in the last year. So it's, yeah, it's really exciting. And I, and I think you, you're a great um, partner from the conversations we've had. We, we click, we bounce ideas off each other really well. And I just seem to feel like there's a really good connection for us. So I'm looking forward to it. And for those, you know, we have an amazing list of contributors that are out there on the site. For instance, we Peter Taylor has a workshop coming up in March, and you can get that off of our site. There's bloggers from multiple countries. We have India, Venezuela, the United States, and Canada. It's truly a global platform. Right? Billy Moape from Zambia is one of our advisors. Leonardo Torres from Spain. Uh, Mona Fazel from Iran. Of course, you are on the advisory board and I am. So we have a truly global perspective. And I don't think there's a platform out there that's mm -hmm. as all-encompassing as we are. I, I hate to say we're kind of the Amazon for the PMO world, but that's a little bit of what we're creating, right? It's a one-stop shop to get whatever you need, whether it's 
free content, paid content, a discussion with your peers, all of it's available in one destination. A hundred percent. And I think the other thing we've already spoken about as well is people can make, you know, suggestions of what they'd like to see come as part of the site longer term. So it's not just a stagnant site, it's actually being updated on a daily basis, which actually makes it even more powerful. I think the the global perspective, I mean, I know we had our first advisory board recently and just hearing the stories of, you know, Leo and, and Mona and Billy and yourself and really seeing the different um, the different views from each of the different regions and countries around the world, it really does add that sort of layer of, of the, the complexity that exists today in projects. Now we've got a, a layer of insight for those regions and those countries that we can bring to the conversation that probably wouldn't be as easy to do when you're, you know, going up the PMO ladder or, or in project land to have access to that sort of information. It would be really hard to try to access all of that. So to have it in one place is actually really exciting. And, and those guys and girls who are part of the advisory board have got a lot of ideas as well. So I feel like it's the yeah, truly global community. And I think it's a really exciting um, group of people to be working with to, to move it forward. So I'm looking forward to the launch. Um, how about you? You a bit nervous? Well, of course, always nervous when we put ourselves out there. We committed to a date and, but hey, we're project and delivery people. We have to hit it, right? If we can't do that, exactly. then uh, we're in the wrong business, I guess. Exactly. Everybody be patiently waiting to see how we go with that. But no, I'm sure it's going to be great. And there's a lot of exciting things that we're thinking about that. So it's just getting that out there. But yeah, it's a really exciting time. I'm definitely, definitely very excited to be part of it. Yeah, certainly lots of excitement about it. And the global perspective to me is really unique. You know, talking with Mona, some things we take for granted uh, here in the States or even Australia and other parts of Europe probably is procurement on projects. Uh, Mm -hmm. But in Iran, uh, when there's sanctions uh, on uh, corporations for them to be able to make purchases and go through the procurement process for their project is a bit more challenging than we would typically experience. And we wouldn't be able to bring that to a blog, right? We don't have that perspective. And to be able to understand those challenges within our industry and within our regions, I think it's going to be really valuable to be able to bring that to global and mm-hmm. regional eyes and ears and to be able to help work through some of those challenges and problems to elevate our industry. That's the whole point of all of this, right? It's how can we get everybody to perform better by learning and leveraging one another's experience and skills? Yeah, 100%. And, you know, case in point would be sort of one of the roles I did um, a few years ago was a global PMO set up for one of the big four banks in Australia. And we had activities happening and the function was to support um, across 13 different countries in Asia, Pacific, Australia, New Zealand. Now, at that time, there wasn't really much that I could go and leverage or obviously there were people in those areas but to try to find the people or find the information or read the blocks to understand the different complexities it was so unique of a situation to be part of and I think that something like the PMO leader back then would have been valuable for me growing up in in my in my um my role so I think that it'll be really valuable for people um as well who are like us who come either coming up the corporate PMO and project ladder, or even in the everyday business, I've, I've definitely got a lot of learnings already from, from what I've seen so far. You know, and speak of, speaking of learnings, right, as you mentioned, uh, your organization, Agile Management Office, has been around for a little bit now, but what's the story behind the journey to get there, right? Uh, how, does, how does one start up a company like that, and what are some of the lessons you've learned along the way? Well, it's a good question because I think I may have mentioned or possibly mentioned last time, but originally when I was sort of working in the corporate space, I knew I wanted to do something. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And so about nine years ago, prior to Agile Management Office, I remember attempting to establish a business, but like many people who set up a business, there's no there's no playbook. There's no guide that's necessarily on how to do it. So I didn't really have any idea. So I just learned a lot of different things and the first business idea I had wasn't really that great of an idea. And so in about five years ago, when I was working within the corporate space, I was working again in a big four bank and it was the fourth time that I was contracted to do work there. And every time I I would come into this environment or in other similar sized um, organizations in different industries, I was reinventing the wheel and I was duplicating and there was so much rigidity in terms of what their expectations were, and it was really stifling the creativity of project management teams. And I would know that because I would have conversations with them quite regularly. And I thought there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a more 
a more agile in terms of agility way of supporting these function, these uh, project management teams and these delivery teams. And so I was talking to an, an executive at the time in this bank and I was saying there's got to be, and then we started sort of talking about agile in terms of agility. And I went, hang on, there needs to be an agile management office. So originally the concept of agile management office was about providing a function that is agility in nature that works with delivery teams and project teams in a different way where it focuses from organizational strategy right through to BAU as opposed to just focusing on the project or the program at hand. Now, that was five years ago and through lots of iteration, lots of feedback from customers, lots of feedback from general public, and then through the work that we did in, in the 2019 white paper, um, it's evolved a lot since then. And so now the Agile Management Office um, and the method and the concept overall is about helping organizations transform by working not only at the executive layer, but connecting that through right through to the business as usual team. It's actually an approach to bring the two together so that we can take the what and the why and, and then help them with the how. So it's evolved significantly. Every client that we work with has a different need. And so the Agile Management Office modifies like a chameleon and changes its, its, its shape and form to suit that specific environment. And I think that's what we need to do better when we think about PMOs day to day. And I think organizations are benefiting from that. So that's where we are today. And we, um, we've had a long journey, but I could talk about it for, for hours, but I might just pause there in case you've got any further questions about that. Well, I think there's, you mentioned the white paper, right? So is that, that's the, the AMO method, right? The Agile Management Office method. What, share with everybody that who hasn't, well, one, where can they go get a copy of that white paper? Because mm-hmm. I'm sure it's going to be more in depth than our conversation today. And Definitely. then two, what give a, an overview of, of what the method is. Yeah, absolutely. So the white paper can be found on our website, which I'm sure we'll share in, in the show notes, just agilemanagementoffice.com. But the concept of the white paper came about through conversations with many people around the world who were inquiring about what is it that you're doing that's different? What makes it different to PMOs? How, how is that um, approach working in organizations? And one of the things that came about was we were having a, I was having a conversation um, in the pro- process of, of thinking about how to get the message about the concept out. And I actually spoke to a few university professors and they were giving me an academic perspective around the theory side of, of some of the things that they had seen and that they have access to being in that space. And we talked about... Um, putting all of the it, sort of all of the ideas and the information around the approach in a white paper that leverages problems that are existing within PMOs globally. And so I came to interview people across seven different countries and it was over 25 or 30 people, as well as professionals, as well as academic professors in different universities in Denmark and Australia. And then leveraging all of that insight, put together what I think are the the top seven problems that are facing PMOs and I still think they're relevant even though this white paper came out at the end of 2019. And leveraging that, I outline in there with each problem from an agile perspective in terms of agility, what did we do about it? What are some of the practices or principles that we apply to actually change the the outcomes of those problems that exist in almost every PMO? And most people have, I haven't had really anyone come back to me and say those seven problems don't exist. So obviously the community agrees and we've had such a significant increase in people, you know, downloading and reading it. And then the second part to that, Joe, is we thought, okay, we've got to take this one step further. And that is we've done the theory, we've done the conversations. Now in the last two years, we've actually been running an impact study and testing our concepts and our theories in Australia's second largest supermarket. We did that on the basis of a recommendation from the university who said, you know what, if you want to prove that your method makes a difference for organizations, then demonstrate that by, by measuring where you are today and then what happens after you do apply the AMO method. Yeah. So we did that and that was the project of the year winning. But also in addition to that, they increased their culture, their employment engagement scores by 15% in 12 months for that specific wow. organization and the MPS scores went up there, their brand you know, engagement scores. So it was testament to the work that we did. And, and I think we've been able to outline a little bit more of that in the in the white paper in subsequent conversations coming up shortly as well. I mean, that's fantastic work. And and obviously to get the the backing of the results of the study helps to validate it. And, 
you're in Australia, right? Where I'm in mm-hmm. the U.S. and obviously there's uh, half the world between us, but but this works anywhere, right? This isn't just an Australian concept, right? It's it's a global concept that can be leveraged regardless of your industry and and your location, correct? Hundred percent. So we everything we do in our job management office, and we're a small team, less than ten people. We build and apply to our small business. So we do that at a very, very micro level because we're so small. We've taken the exact same concepts and approaches and principles and we've then applied them in, as I mentioned, Australia's second largest supermarket in healthcare. We're doing that in healthcare, mid-sized healthcare in in the hospital space at the moment. We've applied it in financial services as well. Um, In media, in in an organisation, one of the the big, big networks here, we've done some work for as well. It's the method to get the results. It's the the method is, is is more about the approach to get the how. It's not rigid in the sense that you must do this and you must do that, but it's a flow of activity that helps you get to the how. And that flow of activity is leading us to those results. And so we're able to apply that um, in a number of different industries. And as you pointed out, it's, it's, it's been able to be applied locally and globally. With a more recent example, we've got a partnership with Aarhus University in Denmark and I've been working closely with the professor there of their international project management um, program. And the students there have actually used the method and part of the method to undertake a mock project that actually links into some of the work we're doing for real for real clients. So we wanted to test it with beginners in project management. And that's exactly what we were able to do and, and had um, have had uh, interns join us as a result of their I guess their their happiness with with the outcome of the program and also the work and support that they got while working with us as well. You know, as as I'm listening to you speak, and we had uh, Amira, who I, who I believe is one of your friends, and she was on a, a couple good friend shows of shows back. We uh, and we've had Priyapatra and others. I get this fantastic view into cultural differences uh, across the world, but also similarities because we're all in the same space. And as you and I have have talked. Um, you had exchanged, uh, we had written some correspondence back and you used the word Fortnite. And for us here in the United States, I was like, what in the world is a Fortnite? What is she talking about? Right. <laughs> so, so I think Fortnite is what every two weeks. Is that what that means? That is it's every two weeks, every two weeks. So this is another reason why we have to get out of our local skin and get into a global perspective is to learn uh, these terms and terminology from around the world, uh, I feel smarter uh, now that I know what Fortnite is, right? It's the, uh, <laughs> the fun elements of being able to talk to people around the ride. A conversation last night with a gentleman from Vietnam, too. So it's it's great how uh, this show is able to bring the world together into one common audience. hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's really interesting because it was a similar experience when I was dealing with people within sort of the um, Asia-Pacific region and trying to understand their concepts around project management or PMO and levels of maturity in different countries and is it all different and different regions is different. Uh, it's even interesting the way that they think about some methodologies, whether um, they're, they're approaching projects in a waterfall fashion or agile fashion. And there's so many differences. And I think if we just listen and ask, questions which you know being fortunate to be able to do that and and as you are with this sort of conversations you're having you can learn quite a lot and sometimes it's good that you learn it early so that it doesn't happen again and no one calls you out on Fortnite next time <laughs> we had uh cornelius fickner was a guest of ours on a few episodes back uh and he had talked about when he had come to the states he was learning english the, the american english but he was also having to learn project management. Even though mm-hmm. he had known it in his home country, the terms of how words are used have different meanings. So trying to get the PMI, you know, if you're trying to get PMI certified for mm-hmm. the PMBOK, it's not understanding just the meaning of the word, but the context of the word and the project management language. And, yep. and again, I yep. think that's Absolutely. something for the PMO leader, right? That site will be able to bring that sort of knowledge to people of how that different language can be used across the globe as well. Definitely. And I think um one of the one of the funny examples I can share is uh in you know in the in the in the accumulating, you know, the white paper took over 12 months to create. But in accumulating research for that, obviously I was looking under covers and reading previous works and whatnot. It's uh as you do a search on PMO, which we all know what it stands for, although we can 
you know, challenge each other on the P because that means something different to everyone. But it means Prime Minister's office in India, for example, and right. I think many other places. So when I said, uh, having a global conversation at one point and mentioned I'm in the PMO space, they were like, oh, you work in government. I'm like, uh, no, not the Prime Minister's office. So what we, I think, sometimes forget as individuals in this space is project management language, although um, conceptually, you know, everybody uh, in project management is doing something similar, you know, with time budgets and one-off, but we all speak a different language. And I'm not talking about, you know, my background in, in speaking Arabic or, or, you know, English and whatnot, but it's actually the fact that the language that we're speaking is different depending on the country you're in when it comes to project management, like that example that you just gave. So, yeah, it's a really, it's a really interesting um, learning experience when you get to talk to people and see their, their different exposure and what they, what they refer to as projects and how they run in different countries. Now, you opened a door there. You had mentioned that you had you know Arabic. What's the origin story behind that? Is, is Australia not your native land? And if so, how, how does Arabic come into your language? So I'm born and raised in, in Australia, but my parents are Lebanese migrants, so back from, from Lebanon. Um, they came here as migrants when they were, I think, 19, about 19. And basically, we've lived here ever since. So, everyone in my sibling, in my siblings, and the six about six children in my family, we're all born, we're all born here. But my parents actually, yeah, migrated here many years ago. And so, Arabic is our native tongue, and we spoke that a lot at home. I remember my mum saying, "You need to speak Arabic. Stop speaking English." But now she speaks more English than all of us. So I'm like, "But the tables have turned there." But but funnily enough as well, um, my husband, he's from, from uh, um, El Salvadorian background, so Latin, Central America, and um, they speak Spanish. So to make sure that I can kind of communicate with his parents who don't speak as much English and were migrants as well, taking up a little bit of Spanish. So I'm hoping that I'll learn more of the project management terms in Spanish and maybe one day I can speak to, to Leonardo in Spanish in, on his show instead of in English. Well, offline, you have to teach me some cuss words in Arabic. That's one of my, as I get these new language, I obviously I'm not going to learn the whole language, but it's, it's important to know the right words. My Polish grandmother gave me basically knowledge of just some Polish cuss words. That's, that's, that's my extent to that. So I'll, I love to pick, and my Greek friends, I've got a couple from them as well. Sounds um, good. I'll add to that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's it's great to, to hear that, right? Amira gave us an amazing story of her journey that she's been through in her life from Iran. And obviously your parents coming over to that and those influences on your life. And the end result of that is here I am in Phoenix, Arizona. I own a project management consulting firm. Amira has her great journey and she owns a PMO consulting firm in Australia you have a fantastic life story and journey. It's the humanity and reality of project management that we can all end up in a common destination, but have traveled a different path. And that's why I love this show because we, we have listeners from around the world who wonder, Hey, can I do that? And when they hear people like you tell your story, it gives them the confidence that yes, I, I can go do that too. Right. And if, yeah. if, if Fatima can do that, I, I think I can make it work. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's our responsibility to help create awareness of what is project management because one of the biggest gaps, um, you know, for a lot of people is not actually having an awareness. And this is even true for stakeholders in large organisations or mid-sized organisations where we go in and we're helping them in project management space and they don't actually know what a project is. And that's not for, you know, their lack of trying. It's just not something that's been portrayed or explained so they need to be part of a change and a shift in the way organisations work, but you're not even giving them the fundamentals of what is a project and how do we go from, from A to Z. I know that my my mother being, you know, bless her, um, when I worked in within the, the sort of the Australia's second largest supermarket and helped them with their transformation of it for one of their departments and, and did all these amazing things, she thought, told people that I was working in the checkout. Now, I used to work as the checkout assistant in previous life, but not in, not in the Coles um, supermarket, which is the, the organisation I'm referring to. So, and then when I did work in the banking space and was running, you know, global PMO, my mum would tell everyone, oh, she's a manager. So I was trying to get my mum and dad who, you know, are really sort of just more, more like homemakers and have worked in factory jobs to truly, truly understand what is it. So I used project management to explain how I set up and managed my wedding many years ago or 
how I set up and managed, um, you know, bridal shower or birthday party, just like making it relatable for them so that they can get on that same page. And I think that's a big passion of mine as well in, in a lot of the things I talk about on my podcast too. Yeah, my parents still think I help companies set up computers. They they <laughs> they, they, they don't uh, understand. So whenever there's a, a computer or an iPad or an iPhone problem, they call me up and, hey, Joe, can you help me with this? And I'm like, listen, I, I'm not a computer <laughs> technician. I, I haven't been ever. I, and 20 years later, I'm still not. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that what they think. And I mean, you try to explain it, but there's, I think there's a level of how far, how, how far you need to go with, with how far we need to try to explain. But yeah, they'll get there eventually, I hope. We hope so. Uh, you, had, <laughs> you had mentioned uh, project management office, of course, and, and you're the agile management office, but there's some commonalities mm-hmm. and distinctions uh, as well. Yes. You know, and for my company, PMO Squad, we've tried to turn the tables a little bit because there is confusion over what is a PMO. Mm-hmm. Is it a project management office, portfolio management office, program management? I mean, what is it, right? So mm-hmm. we're purpose, measure, optimize, right? To, to yeah. get companies aligned. So it doesn't matter if you have agile or traditional techniques, you have mm-hmm. a purpose, you go use a, a, a methodology to go achieve that purpose and you measure and you optimize. Yeah. How, how do you view the PMO, right? I mean, what, how do you incorporate that and how do you work with leaders of PMOs with your agile method to go in there knowing that there's such variation to be able to make an impact for them? Well, first of all, um, what I've learned in the last five years is that typically the desire to change has to come from the executive management team. So general managers and sort of C-level executives, CIOs, typically they're the level, the, sort of the level that we work with. Why? Because I think you, you, there's two types of PMOs. There's the PMO that are hungry to learn, hungry to change, always looking to optimize, always looking to increase maturity and automate and, you know, improve the way they work. And then we've got the other side of the fence where I'm, you know, I hate to say it, but there is a lot of people that are just too comfortable in the way that they're running. And so anytime that there's a desire to change, whether it's coming from a project manager or raised from someone else in the organization, they're really reluctant and maybe there's, there's a fear or something holding them back, but they're not really keen on the change. So typically the agile management office work usually starts with an executive. Now, that's not to say that we've never worked with EPMOs or um, you know heads of PMOs. We absolutely have. But typically it's because they have a desire to increase efficiency to increase maybe some of the automation, perhaps they're looking at better integration of what they're doing to organizational objectives and then into BAU, into business as usual. So we help them look at how do you take what the organization's, you know, trying to do their vision and their mission, filter that through your project management office space, which includes your project delivery teams typically, and then into HR and finance and procurement. How do you link to internal audit? How do you link to operational risk? That's the part that makes us so different and unique in that we're not looking at just methodologies or approaches. It's actually about how do you bring the the whole organization on that journey to make sure that you've got that governance lens. And so we do try to help those um, PMOs and organizations who have PMOs, whichever, whichever name they want to call it. But also I think there's sometimes a, a confusion around whether organizations are hiring and this might be a whole other segue of topic, but I find that organizations sometimes are hiring people for PMO roles, but they don't realize if it's a project level, a program level, portfolio level, or an enterprise level. And Joe, you would know they, they require different skill sets, although there's some key principles. It's a different skill set. You can't have run a project PMO for a year and then go run an ePMO. I mean, the incredibly remarkable person to, to go from that. So I think there's some awareness that needs to happen. I'm hoping we can do that as well with the PMO leader. I've certainly been trying. Yeah, and I think that's important for everybody to understand. Right? We did some research last year, and it's it's close to 80% of PMO leaders were promoted from being a project manager. So if you've only run projects in your life, how are you mm-hmm. going to be able to run a PM a function, right, a department? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and let alone the variation between a project office, a program office, or a portfolio office. Yep. And with the Absolutely. the modern world we live in, people, you know, they they have a job for three or four years and they go to a new organization. So mm-hmm. people in the new organization may have a 
portfolio management office, but in your former or organization, you worked in a project management office. Yep. Expectations are going to be very different. And if you haven't aligned out your purpose, right, how are mm-hmm. you going to be able to work with your executives to be able to get the value add that you need from your PMO? Absolutely. And there's probably two, two um, points that I'll, I'll add to that. So firstly, I think that organizations, you know, typically we, we all know introduce a PMO for economies of scale, repetition, standardization, all of that sort of stuff. That's, that's core to where the project management office came from, you know, many, many, many years ago. But if you look at, well, at least the organizations that I've been seeing and, and been over 25 or 30, but if I look at some of the organizations that, you know, have these PMOs, one PMO in one corner of the building to another PMO on another corner of the building are duplicating and reworking at the exact same time, doing the same thing in different ways. And it's wasteful and it's unproductive and it holds project delivery teams back. It stops their creativity. And some organizations are starting to get it, some don't. And so this is where my passion for let's do it differently. Let's flip it on its head. Let's make it about making sure the project management teams, and that includes the BAs and the testing and the UAC and all of the sort of um, peripheral project management teams, but let's help them, enable them. So if if you think of them on a train track, we're at the front moving everything out of their path so that they can get to where they're going. Now, they know where they're going because that's, you know, part of their project planning. So that's one part I think that really um, is a bit frustrating and, and comes up a lot. And then just to your earlier point, one of the other things, and people might not agree with me on this, but I feel that you have to know project management to be a good PMO. You have to either run a project, supported a project, junior project. Like you have to understand project end-to-end to be a good PMO. But I don't think always a project manager can go from being a project manager to doing PMO really well. Not saying it never can happen. There's absolutely instances where I've seen, especially if the person's been around long enough, but I often hear, oh, I've had lots of PMOs work for me and I've, you know, I've been project managing for 10 years, so I'll set up this PMO and I know what needs to happen. What people don't realise is project management is about delivery. PMO is typically about governance and they're two different lenses and you need to have both equally to be able to run either one. Yeah, and you mentioned delivery and, and that's where I, I think one of the trends we're seeing this year in this you know, the continuation of COVID is that organizations have been more focused on delivery and less focused on governance mm-hmm. because they don't have, in a remote work from home setting, governance isn't as important. It's just get it done, right? Go get mm-hmm. it done. Go deliver for me. It's kind of like a sales team, right? Yeah. I, I'm not as concerned with the process of sales. Go close the deal. And yeah. I think we're seeing that in our industry with the projects, right? I don't care what your process is. Just go finish the project, get it done. And, and the yeah. delivery term to me becomes so much stronger and more important than management, right? Project delivery versus project management is a mindset shift to be able to go execute as opposed to go control. And and, yeah. and I think that ties into the AMO method, right? Of, of finding out how to get things done and deliver along that path. A hundred percent. And, 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 you know, in the, the white paper, I've got it on my desk, but you know, one of the key problems and, and the, the first one that we called out was organizational misalignment. Organizational misalignment, if you look at any of the studies that have been coming out, you know, whether it's the PwC report or the LERT report or any other sort of global report on PMOs, it's the same content in in terms of their comments around um, executive sponsorship and leadership. And that's because there's a lack of awareness and understanding uh, that some some of these leaders have in terms of how to best utilize the project management office Many times the PMO or the concept of the PMO is far removed from those layers. So with everything else that they're doing, I appreciate they probably don't have the time to focus on it. But used really well and efficiently, you can actually transform the way an organization works. So I think that organizational misalignment and that disconnect um, is a is a very big problem and something that if executives don't stop and think about what exactly they're doing around that space, they're going to be creating um, more problems, such as the one you pointed out, where they're going to get to a point where they're going to have to play catch up on governance, and you know they're going to get audits that come along, or they're going to miss some compliance uh, sort of timeline or some regulation, and that's going to cause more problems down the track. But um, at the moment, I think there's still some misunderstandings, and everybody in the organisation needs to be on the same page for it to be as efficient as possible. 
You know, something we hadn't uh, talked about in advance, so hopefully I won't trip you up on this one. But as I'm talking to someone from Australia, Elise Stevens always comes to mind, and, and she has yeah. her fantastic initiative celebrating women in project management. Um, and I posted on LinkedIn today, a, a Brene Brown quote really hit home for me uh, recently, and it tied in something that you had just said a moment ago. Uh, the quote is, vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. And you had talked about leaders who are comfortable and they're not looking to change. And therefore, the PMO, it becomes stagnant and, you, and they're hard to work with them as opposed to the executive who is willing to make the change. Absolutely. Part of the, the problem I think that we face in our industry where people get comfortable is, and we're not, we're not accepting of vulnerability is because it's a male-dominated industry. So as a woman who is a top three acknowledged influencer in our industry and the top in Australia, how have you seen or combated or been a victim of this male-dominated industry and how do companies receive you as a consulting leader and thought leader to be able to come in and help shift and create change within their organization? Very good question. Um, and I will say I did actually have the pleasure of listening to Brene Brown on the Tim Ferriss podcast. And if you have if someone hasn't listened to that episode, it's absolutely fantastic. But I think there's been definitely a lot of issues and challenges for me personally. I would say it's been more in sort of the climb up the corporate ladder, and that was my desire for many years as I was kind of coming about this space. I've had situations of bullying, um, and you know, that links to why I sort of in the mental health space, which I'm sure we'll touch on later. But I've been in situations of bullying and um, many of those instances have, have come from males, although there's been some instances of females as well, not just specifically to do with the role, but just for various different reasons. I've had a lot of pushback in terms of putting putting my hand up in, in the over the years to secure a particular role where which then it was given to someone who maybe didn't have as many skills and experience, but typically um, in this instance was male, for example. The other challenge as well is in, in as a small business owner, as a female small business owner, it's been very challenging in a lot of instances because a lot of the kind of deals and conversations that are made where your big contracts are given to consulting companies, sometimes it's done in the golf course or over a late night dinner or on a trip to Las Vegas or whatever it might be. And, and I'm aware of that. And there's certain boundaries that I've set, there are things that I will and won't do, um, especially when dealing with, you know, decision makers that happen to be men. So a lot of the time, it's a bit of a balance and, and it can be a bit challenging. But what my motto has been is not to let that sort of get in the way and let someone say, say to me, no, you can't do this. In fact, I remember recalling when I was 17, trying to get my driver's license, I wanted manual, a manual license. And Several men in my life said to me, including my father, said, no, you can't have a manual license. That's for boys. And I was like, no, it's not for boys. And then I persisted to fail three times before on the fourth go, I got my manual license to prove them wrong, but also to, you know, make myself um, happy. So it's definitely been a, a been a problem and it's definitely come up. In terms of your question around how do I get the change? I think the big fundamental shift was I've gone from working as a you know full-time contractor in organizations for many years, for about 15 years, and then I went into the business as a consultant. And for whatever reason, as a consultant, there's a lot more opportunity for people to take time and to listen. And I think the approach and the way we communicate the message and guide clients, males and females, is really been the reason why we've been able to move them forward and help them because we understand exactly what to do because we've been in those roles before and I've had the opportunity to show them firsthand. So now as a consultant, I find it's a lot easier to knock on the door of an executive's office and say, these are the problems you've got and I'm just going to tell you honestly whether you want to hear it or not, I'm going to be very transparent. Whereas as a contractor, I felt I held back a little bit because you know if you didn't say what your manager wanted you to say, sometimes you would get called out on it. So yeah, it's definitely a balance between the two. Yeah. And I think we, you know, we see things culturally where there's a change in the dynamic to empower women. Um, I'm remembering back to that show I had Elise on um, and we were talking about Avengers Endgame, I think was out at that point, uh, but Black Widow sacrificed herself, right? Usually it's the man who gives her himself up for the good of the cause, right? But 
to small things that maybe go unnoticed can make a big impact. Um, and I think even within our industry, uh, Sunil Prashara, you know, like him or not, the influence he's done since he's taken over, lots of change within PMI. But you know what? He's not a woman. It would have been great if PMI had put a woman into that role. And if we yeah. think of all the other major institutions in project management around the world, I'm trying to think in my head here off top of just thinking of this live, I think they're all men. I don't think any mm -hmm. of them are led by a woman. And, and that makes me salute more somebody like yourself or Lindsay and Eileen or the sisters that run now House of PMO, the PMO Flash Mob, uh, Laura Bernard, who runs PMO Impact Summit, right? All of those amazing women in our industry are proof positive that this doesn't need to be a man's industry, that we can all be vulnerable, we can all be leaders, and we need that diversity really to improve and get over the stereotypes of this male-dominated industry that we belong to. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. And, and the same applies with um, sort of boards and the number of males on boards compared to females um, is just shockingly different. And then in terms of the number of CEOs that are, that are male, not female, that the number is significantly high. And I think part of my climbing the corporate ladder ha always had in the back of my mind thinking about, like I looked at, you know, how many male CEOs, you know, have companies on the stock exchange that they're leading, sorry, um, versus females and, and how many of them were maybe from a Middle Eastern background or how many of them come from an Islamic background or, you know, all of the sort of different things that make it, you know, make me and others culturally and linguistically diverse is things that come to mind. So, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a problem, and I think that it is great to see some of these power women and many of the ones you've mentioned. I've had a great deal to do with. I was in Elisa's book and was interviewed by her, and um, Amira is a close friend of mine as well. Um, I've spoken to Laura and paying attention to the stuff Lindsay's doing. So again, we're all in it together, back to PMO leader of one community. So it's really great to see that, and I think it's helpful for those that are climbing up. Um, the corporate ladder or, or coming up in businesses or what, whatever they are doing day to day and their desires to see that sort of balance. And the more of that, I think will be better for everybody. Different ideas, different opinions and, and a global perspective. I think a, a live decision being made in my mind right now is we've had five members of the advisory board for the PMO leader, two women and three men. I went with an odd number so that we could have a, a vote and have a winner and not have a tie, but we need to, I think it should be three women and three men. So I think uh, uh, we now have a mission to go balance that load and bring another woman onto our board. Definitely. Maybe we, we look at the Asia Pacific region uh, yeah. potentially to Absolutely. cover that area. That's an action on our backlog and definitely something to do for sure. Absolutely. You, now you had mentioned mental health um, mm -hmm. a moment ago in some of your comments. Share with us, you know, the connection there and, and what's the, the story to that? So I have had a history of anxiety. Um, I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder back in 2007, I think it was. So I actually recall the, the first time I had a panic attack and it was um, on a, at a Friday night and I won't go into the details, but all I knew is that Monday I was starting a new position, you know, as a contractor back then in my early 20s. And um, it was a really daunting experience and it took quite a long time for me to um, figure out what it is and how do I, you know, work around it. I still have to perform in my job and I recall not missing one or two days, I think, in 15 years of dealing with, with the anxiety. But I just continued to see it as a challenge and after several instances of bullying myself in corporate um, and seeing sort of some of the behaviours of some people and, and not many, very few, but still abhorrent behaviours from some people, I kind of felt quite, quite, quite quiet about it and didn't really want to speak up about it. But then there was an opportunity to actually be interviewed in one of our major newspapers about mental health. And it was because I decided to join um, about five, five or six years ago, Australia's um, largest not-for-profit um, organisation for mental health. And they are by far the biggest um, and have a really far reach in terms of the people they support and help and have done a lot since the COVID situation as well. And I joined them because I was like, it's time to remove that stigma that's associated with mental health. I've been able to do all the things that I've done. And yeah, I've still got some mental health with anxiety. Um, and I have many people in my family that have struggled as well. 
But let's just remove the stigma associated with if you have anxiety or if you have had depression in the past or if you have any other disability or issue, that's not going to stop you from achieving things. And if anything, you're probably going to be more proactive and, and keen on and making it making an impact in your day to day. So I joined and uh, it's been about six years now since I've done that and have yeah been able to meet incredible, incredible people schools, universities, um, I've done corporate events. So probably one of the most memorable was I got to meet a group of women in a homeless shelter who come together on a weekly basis and they all have their own challenges and, and talk through that and give a, get a different perspective. So it's been really eye-opening and I've absolutely loved um, every minute and continue to do that as a volunteer today. Yeah, and I think what a lot of people don't realize is how common uh, mental health issues are, uh, especially anxiety. You know, within my own family, my oldest son uh, has has had counseling for anxiety, and my wife's family has some history of anxiety within it. But we don't talk about it, right? If you break your arm, everybody can see the cast and they know that you have an injury. If you 100%. break your brain, that that doesn't make you any different than if you break your arm. But nobody mm-hmm. gets to see the cast, right? So we don't know what's happening. Um, exactly. So I certainly salute. Uh, your public stance to bring that to light. And, and and I would ask, what can those who aren't as informed, how can they, I don't want to say tread around it, because we need to talk about it, right? How can how can you we, who aren't as exposed to it as you are, become more informed and become part of the solution as part of continuing to uh, keep the problem going? Well, there's a lot of research that's been done um, in this space. And and, you know, just to kind of recap around the number of people, like 45% of Australians will experience um, mental health challenge at some point. And within an, in one year alone, there'd be um, one one person, I think, it, it, one million people that would suffer from depression and two million with anxiety in any given year. And so some of the stuff that we do in creating awareness in our speaking is about giving some tips and tools. And one of the things that leaders can do is, by helping to remove the stigma by if they have had their own challenges, if they're willing and able to share more openly. For example, I had a, a head of a HR of a security services company, quite a large one, who came out to his team and said that in the past he had depression. And that meant that several other, like a sort of domino effect, started speaking up about their own challenges. So as a leader, it's my responsibility to speak up if I'm comfortable about my challenges, particularly because mine are under control and I've been able to to manage it well. Um, The second thing is when someone comes to you and tells you about the challenges that they may be having, direct them to the support services that are in your country. And, you know, in Australia, we've got many of them and I know that there's some globally. So finding or connecting, and usually that's uh, something that's available through a HR department, they typically have access to that. Um, Offering to listen to people, just Ask them if they're okay and if they don't have the time to talk or they're not interested in talking, ask them if you can follow them up in a couple of days um, as another idea. And then I think just one of the things I like to do is have mental health moments. So I like to ask a sort of a safety moment thing that I learned in mining. It's like at the beginning of a meeting, we just say that we're just going to do a safety check or a mental health moment. And sometimes we like to bring that in as well and, um, and just offer people a safe place to feel like they can speak up. And then finally, absolutely no tolerance to bullying, no tolerance to bullying whatsoever. And unfortunately, it's still very common. And it's one of the things I think is going to take a long time to get rid of. Yeah. And and if we think about our profession, right, we all work on projects. Projects are stressful, right? There are deadlines, there are expectations, there are job uh, on the line. And that just heightens the anxiety and depression to come out, right? So a book, uh, you know, like Carol Osterweil's book that uh, she had talked about, Psychological Safety, Right. Teams perform better when the number one item in there is when there is psychological safety for their team members. We need to learn our team members to know if somebody is dealing with a mental health issue, it's okay, right? It's not, we don't have to think that that's a problem, but be aware of it so that we can approach them the right way. And uh, as we as project managers, I think we're into a new age where it's not just the technical skills. It's now the human skills of project management that help us be better. So I certainly thank you for uh, your work on that. And again, bringing light to it and have a good conversation about that today. You're very welcome. Thank you uh, for your thoughts on it as well and for sharing your personal story. 
Yeah, and I and I've mentioned that in the past, right? My, my son uh, on here, and I think that's the way. This station itself, the the owner of the station, uh, she's very open. She's had several shows on about that and her own personal uh, stuff that her family had to work through. And as part of that, I think it made all of us who host shows on that channel more aware of it, and be, made us uh, want to bring light to it as well. So I think domino effect. Absolutely, because that's that's how we all learn. That's how we all improve. Um, and it goes yeah. back also to vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the dad. I'm not supposed to talk about my son that way because we're supposed to be brave and, and have our chest puffed up, right? And we're going to be strong. Well, strength mm-hmm. can be vulnerability. And to know that Absolutely. you can talk about it can bring strength to others. So this is what we do for a living, and we have to understand that we're in a high-stress situation. And there's not bullets flying by while we're doing this, but there are you know careers on the line, and there are millions of dollars at stake, and people cope with that stress differently. And we have to make sure that they're we're aware of it as leaders and that they're capable of it uh, as team members to be aware of it as well. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, your um, comment is very true with the whole situation now and everyone is going through something with COVID at the moment. Everyone, whether you're a business owner, a father, a child, like, it doesn't really matter. Everybody's impacted in some way, shape or form and some worse than others. But one thing I will say, and, and we were talking about this yesterday with my team, is that if you're here, you've gotten through already so much challenge and so much hurdles. And you've gotten to a point where you're still going, you're still fighting the good fight, even if the fight is in silence and, you know, you do have an invisible illness like, you know, anxiety or depression. Some of that has actually arisen now because of COVID for people that didn't have it before. So it's, 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 no one is immune from it. But um, I think that the people that are fighting the good fight now and trying to get through just this difficult time in life, um, it'll make them stronger and it will make them more resilient in the long term. They just have to continue to have the patience and believe in themselves, and they will overcome those challenges. I'm, I'm, I'm confident of that. Well, Fatima, thank you so much for being on the show. We've covered so much ground on a lot of different topics, some direct and indirect to what we do, and time flies, and we are at our hour. Um, so I, wow. I want to give you a chance to talk about any upcoming events you have, how people can get in touch with you, anything maybe that you wanted to cover that we didn't get a chance to talk about yet. Uh, here's your chance to share those with with the audience. Beautiful. Well, I, I think as we said before, the white paper you can find that on our website. Just go to the www.agilemanagementoffice.com to access that. Follow me on LinkedIn. I share a ton of valuable insights and resources, opportunities, etc. That would be probably the second thing. And if you are connected on LinkedIn, you will get um, made aware of some upcoming initiatives that we've got. Um, in the pipeline for this year that I think will be really exciting and, and beneficial, one of which relates to mental health later this year and, and then some of the other things like the PMO leader. So make sure that you're following me on, on social media, particularly LinkedIn, and, and follow up on our website, get on that contact list to keep updated on, on our journey and what we're doing next. Fantastic. Thanks you again for joining us. And always uh, thank you to our listeners. Of course, without you, we don't have a show. If people don't want to hear what we're talking about, we won't be coming back uh, for each show. And Thankfully, you keep coming back, so we will as well. Be sure to visit projectmanagementofficehours.com to check out all the great content and shows we've had on there and our list of amazing guests that we have coming up. Guests planned include Bill Dow, Frank Saletis, Jennifer Bridges and David Noor, Stuart Easton from the UK, David Barrett, Canada, Alana Hill, Danielle Torley, Hamotal Weitz and Daniel Zitter from Israel. Karsten Lay from Vietnam. We are traveling the world and bringing you all the different leaders that they can bring their perspectives uh, to our listeners. A reminder that, yes, these shows are live, uh, but we do record them and they are released as a podcast. So be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, whether it be Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, Google Play, whatever it may be. Of course, thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Leader and the PMO Squad. Uh, visit thepmosquad.com to learn more about the purpose-driven PMO and all of their project management services. And visit thepmoleader.com to learn about all of the great content contributors, leaders, and services that we have for this one PMO world, creating one community. That's it for now. 
Office hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours. Thanks for listening to another episode of Project Management Office Hours with PMO Joe. You're not alone in your project management journey. We're here to help you achieve your goals. Subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on your favorite podcast platform to catch all of our episodes and hear industry leaders share their story and secrets to success.